out tonight in this dangerous wet weather. Uh, here in Gladstone, it's like um, you think no one, you'd never seen rain before here. And, uh, you know, once, uh, you know, it could be a bit slippery out there and a little bit greasy. And uh, it's, um, I'm feeling a bit chilly today, actually, as well. And so I brought this coat with me because uh, I'm very, very prophetic. And uh, no, it wasn't. I, I actually packed it because I'm going to Melbourne tomorrow. And I had no thought that I'd actually be needing it in Gladstone. And now I wish I wore a warmer jacket. So uh, it's just, you know, people say Melbourne's weather changes. My Lord, Gladstone's just like up and down like a yo-yo. Anyway, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for coming out tonight. And I'm sure that as we get around God's Word, uh, God's got something awesome for us. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn me to uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Uh, verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3. For those of you who don't know where that is, it's just after 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, going to be reading from verse 16. And as I mentioned this morning, uh, wherever I travel, take have some of my resource. And for those of you who weren't here today, a couple of items I haven't brought here before uh, is a worship CD from Extreme Conference in Mackay. Uh, for today, uh, it's going for $5. And also uh, three messages about overcoming. Uh, and so if you're interested, uh, and that in my book, Get Blessed, is at the table. So feel free, uh, Claire will be over there and you can feel free to uh, check all that out. Second Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now turn with me to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, going to be reading from verse 21. Exodus 4, 21, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way to Egypt at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. So, he let him, so God let him go. Then she said, You're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. The title of my message tonight is called Cut That Out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Ask and pray, Lord. Help. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by God and is useful. What that, mean is, what that means is even the Scriptures that you haven't put on a fridge magnet on your fridge are useful. That not just the ones that we know really well, that actually all of Scripture is useful for us. In fact, that includes all of the Old Testament. reason why I say that is because here the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, which is right, and uh, he says all Scripture is useful for us, and he's actually talking about the Old Testament at the time because they didn't have the New Testament. So all Scripture, even the texts that don't make any sense, even the texts that seem difficult and hard, God's got something for us in every passage of Scripture in the Bible. If I was going to do this message in, series, this message in a series, I would call it tough texts of the Bible. Those texts of the Bible that don't seem to make any sense but very often it's in those passages of Scripture that we can get some of the richest revelation. Today I want to talk to you out of this passage of Scripture. And basically it's one that actually 20 years ago, I really didn't understand what it meant. 
I remember I was at Bible college and I just read this in my devotions and I was talking to students at Bible college. I'm saying, have you read that stupid scripture where God told Moses to go to Egypt and then on the way there, God actually then went to stop him to kill him and then his wife uh, cut the foreskin off her son, threw it at his feet and then God let him go. I was like, what's that got to do with anything? And all the other Bible colleges, Bible college students threw their hands up in the air and they said, look, we don't know. And I guess it's one of those scriptures that we all put in the too hard basket. This morning I read a passage of scripture that probably almost every, every preacher has preached from at some point. Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. But I'll be honest, I have never heard anybody preach on the passage of scripture that I read to you tonight. Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Exodus chapter 4. But the major story, the major uh, lesson that we can learn and derive from this is that this is a lesson talking about disobedience. Because you see, Moses was a Jew and he was supposed to circumcise his son, but he never actually did it. And so basically this is a story where God got him to do something he was supposed to do in order for him to move on with the rest of his life. And so this is essentially a story about about disobedience. How as Christians, we need to understand that if we're going to fulfill the destiny that God has for our lives, we actually need to be obedient to the Lord. And so there's a few lessons that we can learn here about disobedience. The first one is this, and that is that disobedience displeases God. The Bible said that it was the Lord himself that met him and sought to kill him. So since Moses was born... Uh, So since Moses' son was born, they had been in disobedience. But it's only now where that disobedience comes home to roost. What that means is this, that just just because you've been disobedient and gotten away with it for a long time does not mean that God approves of it. That actually that disobedience was there all along. And just because God didn't confront him earlier does not actually mean that God was happy with it or he was okay with it. That all disobedience at some point actually displeases God. And what I found is this, that there is very often where God will bring situations to a head in our lives in order for us to deal with the disobedience that we've been carrying for a long time. Another example of this is when David is trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And what had happened was that the Ark of the Covenant had been with the Philistines in a foreign land. And so he was trying to bring that Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belonged. And what he did was that he actually put the Ark on a cart and allowed oxen to carry that cart all the way to Jerusalem. However, on the way, they hit a rock and the oxen stumbled. And when they stumbled, the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall off. A man came to hold the Ark of the Covenant and push it back. As soon as he touched it, he was actually killed immediately. The interesting thing about this is that David, I don't know, he obviously didn't realise this, but the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried a certain way. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of people. That is why on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, there was actually rings where poles would go through so that either end men would carry that Ark and that's the way it's supposed to be carried. So putting it on a cart was an incorrect way for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they got away with it for a period of time until there came a point where the oxen stumbled and it all came to a head. What I have found is this, that I know in my own life, there's been times when disobedience has been there and it seems like it's been undealt with, but that doesn't mean God approved of it. And there often comes a point 
a, a point in time where it comes to a head and it needs to be addressed and dealt with. Because just because we got away with it for a period of time does not mean that God actually approved of that disobedience. Disobedience always displeases God. I have found very often that often when it comes time for a change of season, where God's about to change a season in my life, that that's often at those times where God wants to deal with some undealt with issues, to sort them out before allowing me to move on to the next season, because at some point it's got to be addressed. And so even in our own lives, there may be some disobedience in our life, just because we have it there and there hasn't been a bolt of lightning strike us, does not actually mean that God is okay with it. Because at all times, God is dis, uh, disobedience displeases God. Even Jacob, uh, Jacob before he went, uh, before he crossed over the, uh, the River Jordan, the Bible says that he met his brother Esau there and he had to resolve his issue with his brother Esau before he stepped into the next season and stepped into the next season of his life. In the same way, there are times in our life where we have to address issues before God allows us to go to the next level because disobedience always displeases God. The second thing about disobedience that we can learn from this scripture is, this, is that disobedience can affect our destiny. It says here that Moses was on the way to fulfilling his destiny. God had told him to go to Egypt, yet God himself came to stop him, to kill him, before he was going to fulfill God's command. What that tells me is disobedience can actually limit our destiny. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares us and run with perseverance the race set before us. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book because it's written, it's called Hebrews because no one actually know who knows who wrote it. It was nearly not actually um, entered into the formation of the Bible, the formation of the canon, because it was un that, because uh, scholars were unsure about who wrote it. The theology was so sound, it sounded a lot like the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't actually say anywhere in Hebrews about who wrote Hebrews. And so you can uh, do a study of Hebrews, and many commentators would debate and argue about who Hebrews was written by but there's no debate about who Hebrews is written to. It's written to Christians. And he says to Christians, let us, let us, Christians, lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares us and run with perseverance the race set before us. What is he saying? He is saying sin can stop us from fulfilling our destiny. That as a Christian, having sin in our life, it can stop us from fulfilling some of the things that God has called us to do and some of the things that God has placed in our heart. It's just, uh, a number of years ago, we did a college encounter retreat. Oh, sorry, it was a church encounter retreat. And on the retreat, uh, people were confessing, uh, were confessing sin to the person who was praying with them. Because uh, the Bible says if we confess our sins one to another, then pray for each other, we'll be healed. And sometimes the very key, the greatest key to actually getting delivered of a sin is to confess it to someone else and to have them pray for you. And so that was one of the things we did. And, and then we did testimonies at church. And one of the uh, girls who was there, she actually got up and she said, God, uh, I repented of this sin in my life. And the very next day, 
my brother, my twin brother, and we didn't even know she had a twin brother. She said, my twin brother rang me and reconciled with me. She'd been completely separated from him and hadn't had any connection with him for a long time. And she was reconciled with him. What happened? She dealt with this thing in her life and then her destiny was brought into alignment. So often, when we deal with some issues in our life, then our destiny begins to open up. Moses was on the way to fulfilling God's destiny for his life. And once he dealt with disobedience, he was able to continue on and fulfill it. Make no mistake, as a Christian, disobedience is something that can stop us from fulfilling our destiny. The third thing that we can learn from this scripture about disobedience is that disobedience is personal. It's personal. God holds us responsible for the things he is calling us or wanting us to do. You know, it's highly likely that the whole reason why Moses didn't have his son circumcised was because of his wife. She wasn't a Jewish woman. She would have thought, and rightly so, that it was a gross practice. And so she would have been the one who had not wanted him to actually do that to her child. But here's the thing. He was the one who the Lord was going to kill. He was the one who needed to be obedient. She was the one who actually stopped him from doing it, but he was the one who was going to suffer the consequences. One of the things I've learned over the years is this, that I can't let other people talk me out of being obedient to God. That when God calls me to do something, I'm actually the person who needs to fulfil it. I'm actually the person who needs to do what God has called me to do. I remember when God called us from Mackay to go to Brisbane and start a Bible college called Planet Shakers College. And I remember when we left, uh, oh, sorry, we announced it at youth on the Friday night. And we announced it to the youth group that Trish and I were, were moving to Brisbane to start this Bible college. And I remember I went on my morning walk. And as I went on my morning walk, I bumped into a man, a really good guy, a member of our church. And he had kids who were in Sunday school, but not yet into youth. And as I was talking to him, I said, oh, mate, did you hear the news? And he goes, no, what news? And I said, well, we just, we're going to announce it at church tomorrow, but we just announced at youth last night that Trish and I are moving to Brisbane to start a Bible college. And so we had a quick chat. I could tell he was a little bit thrown, and then I walked home. Five minutes after I arrived home, there's a knock on the door, and it's this guy. He followed me home. And he, taught, and he, he came into my lounge room, and he said, look, you know, and he was trying to talk me out of moving. He was saying, I don't know if this is right, you know, you shouldn't do this. And he tried to stop me and he's a really good guy. And, and I, could, I know why he didn't want us to move because his kids were about to go into youth for the very next year. And I really sympathised with him and, I, and he was very convincing and he was trying to talk me out of going. But at the end of the day, I didn't listen to him. Why? Because I knew that I had to do what God had called me to do. That if I didn't do what God called me to do, I'd be the one in disobedience. I can understand why he didn't want me to do that, but I realised I needed to do what I had to do. And one of the things I've learned is this, that as you serve the Lord, there are times when other people don't understand. There are other people, times that other people don't understand why sometimes we do the things that we do. Uh, I grew up in Melbourne and I'll be honest with you, I never wanted to leave. I left Melbourne in 1997 to go to Bible college. I was going to go for one year, then I was going to go back home. Well, I still haven't moved back. And in that time, my parents, my parents are still in Melbourne and my sister is still in Melbourne and all my family's in Melbourne. We, have, uh, we don't have uh, my wife's family. We're up in far north Queensland. And, and so we were, you know, I had moved and left. And, and it's amazing how often 
people from my past try and talk me into coming back. And they'll say, oh, you know, when are you coming back to Melbourne? I remember one time, last year, I was at a wedding. It was a wedding for some Tongan family members. And uh, and I was representing my dad because it was in Brisbane. And so my dad said, you need to go and represent me at this wedding. So I went and represented my dad at this wedding. And, and while we were there, I had some, some uncles pull me aside. And they said, when are you moving back to Melbourne? I said, oh, well, I'm not, not really planning to. And he goes, listen, your dad is getting older. He said, you need to go home to support your dad. Now, my dad's fighting fit. But he said, you need to, he goes, he said, listen, you really should go home. When are you coming home? And they were at me the whole time. I started thinking, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go back to Melbourne. And I remember I was back in Melbourne and I was talking to my mum and dad and I said, oh, look, you know, maybe we will come back. You know, our family is down here. Maybe we're supposed to do that. And I remember I was actually going to the airport and my dad drove me to the airport and I'm saying, oh, maybe we should come back to Melbourne, you know, because our family is down here. Don't really want to move down there. The weather's terrible. A bit like Gladstone today. And, <laughs> and my dad just looked at me and he said, listen, just do what God's called you to do. And I was like, thank you. I needed to hear that. Because a lot of people just did not understand that I need to do what God has called me to do. And it's not for them to understand. But one of the things I've learned is this. I am responsible for my own obedience. You know, there's a story in the Bible about a young prophet. And the young prophet was supposed to go and deliver a message. He went and delivered the message and the Lord had told him that he was supposed to go home immediately after delivering that message. But when he went and delivered that message, there was an old prophet there. And the old prophet heard the prophecy and he pulled the young prophet aside and he said, listen, why don't you come to my place for dinner and stay the night? And the young prophet said, the Lord told me that I need to go and go home straight away. And the old prophet said, oh no, it's okay. The Lord told me you don't have to do that. You can come to my house and you can stay. So the young prophet went to the old, uh, to the old prophet's house and he stayed and then he got killed later on. Interestingly enough, the old prophet who was lying was not the one who was punished. It was the one who was disobedient to what God had called them to do. Disobedience is personal. When the Lord asks us to do something, He requires something of it. And I do get a sense here right now, this is not a sermon that I just travel everywhere with because a lot of people probably wouldn't understand. But for some people here, I feel like there's a fear of the Lord and the Lord is saying, I want you to do this. And it's like, well, other people don't understand. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They'll understand later. But we need to do what the Lord tells us. The next thing that we need to learn that we can learn from disobedience from this passage of Scripture is that disobedience can hinder other areas of our lives that seem completely unrelated. What has this circumcision got to do with Moses fulfilling his destiny? The person I feel the most sorry for in this story is Moses' son. Could you imagine? They're walking as a family on this road and then God comes to kill his dad and he says, ah, Dad, someone save him. And his mum turns around and says, come over here. I'll be like, what has this got to do with that? Well, obviously in this case, it had everything to do, it, do with it. That very often obedience in one area translates into some kind of breakthrough in another area that seems completely unrelated. The book that I've brought here a hundred times called Get Blessed it was a book that God had spoken to me about in about 2004. 
I received numerous prophecies to actually write that book, Get Blessed. I remember the Lord had spoken to me about it. I remember another time I'm in a meeting and Chris Hill, there was a prophecy from Chris Hill uh, about writing this particular book. Uh, another man, another preacher by the name of Martin Steele, he's in New Zealand. He said to me, have you written that book that God told you to write uh, about giving? I even had uh, one of my best friends, a, a guy by the name of Ryan Gilbank, and I actually wrote a thank you to him in the, in the forward in my book. Every time I would see him, uh, he was a pastor in Mackay, he would say, have you written that book yet? You're supposed to write this book. And, and I'll be honest with you, I hate writing. I like speaking. I don't like writing. I find writing painful, but I can jabber on all day. And I thought, I'll do a CD series about it. But I just felt God say, you've got to write it. You've got to write it. At the same time, God had promised me a new house. And it was so funny because I would pray for the house. And I'd say, Lord, where's my house? And I remember one time I'm saying, Lord, you promised me a house. Where's my house? And as clear as anything, I felt the Holy Spirit say, where's the book? And I'm like, we're talking about something completely different here. That has got nothing to do with it. But every time I'd pray about the house, it'd say, where's the book? And right at the stage where the book was just about ready to go and get printed and go and get sorted and was pretty well done, it was about that time that we were able to get the house. Something that seemed completely unrelated was actually related, was actually related because areas of disobedience or obedience in one area can actually affect other areas that are completely unrelated. And in the same way, maybe there's a breakthrough that you're believing for here and God is requiring you an act of obedience over here. And we're waiting for God to produce the breakthrough, but he's waiting for us to do the thing that he has called us to do. Make no mistake. You know, we talk about the Lord and he's our father and he is our father. And we talk about the Lord and he's our friend and he is our friend. And we talk about the Lord and he's our saviour and he is our saviour. But more than any of those phrases, the scripture actually talks about him being the Lord. That actually means boss. You know, did you remember those old T-shirts that were out a few years ago and on the front it was a picture of Jesus and it said, Jesus is my homeboy? He's not your homeboy. <laughs> He's the Lord. He's the boss. <laughs> and when he asks us to do something, he wants us to do it. And the Bible says on the day of judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that, no, not you're my homeboy, but actually you're the Lord. And what that means is there are times where he requires us to do something and he will, and he will outlast us with his patience. I've told you before that these, uh, about the uh, sport of baseball, and in baseball, you've got a pitcher and a catcher. And the pitcher, his job is to throw the pitch past the hitter and the catcher is standing behind wanting to, going to catch the ball. The, the catcher and the pitcher, they communicate as to what the, pitcher sh- the kind of pitch that the pitcher should throw. And they do it by doing hand signals. And so those, the catcher will stand behind the pitcher and the batter can't see and the catcher will make some hand signals to tell him the kind of pitch that he wants the pitcher to throw. And if the pitcher doesn't want to throw that particular pitch, if he disagrees, he'll do what's called shake it off. Oh, sorry, uh, not, not Taylor Swift, but... Um, and, he'll, and so the catcher will make a signal and the pitcher, if he doesn't want to throw that, then the catcher will change his signal. And if the pitcher doesn't want to throw that, then the catcher will change the signal again. And if the pitcher wants to throw it, he'll nod and then he'll throw the pitch. Why do I say that? Oh yeah, God's not, uh, God's, not a, uh, God's not a catcher. He doesn't change his mind. 
It's not like he gives you a signal and we're like, And so he's like, <laughs> he doesn't change his mind. He's the Lord. And very often, sometimes we have the breaks on our life because we haven't done the last thing that he called us to do. Sometimes disobedience affects other areas of our life. And the last thing about disobedience is this. Disobedience doesn't leave your conscience. It doesn't leave your conscience. You know deep down in your heart, you don't need anybody to tell you, you know deep down in your heart if you've been disobedient. Interestingly, the Bible doesn't say that God came to kill Moses and Moses turns around and says, I think Zipporah, we actually need to circumcise our son. I think that's what, no, that never happened. He was getting, going to get killed by the Lord and then here's Zipporah, she's like, oh, get over here. And she throws it at his feet. No one told her what to do. Why? Because she knew. She knew deep down that she was in disobedience. And it's the same way with us, that there are times deep down that we know there's some things that aren't right and no one needs to tell us because it doesn't leave our conscience. It's still there deep, deep down. I've only preached this message a couple of times. It's not exactly one you would travel to a new church with. And, uh, and I, I remember I preached a number of years ago back at IC Church at my home church. Apparently, and I've got a testimony from this, someone messaged me. Apparently, as I was preaching this message, a woman turned to her boyfriend and said to him, we need to get married. Just like that in the middle of the... Because what I found out later what had happened was that they'd been living together for quite a while and she just had no... She just didn't think there was anything... Uh, wrong with that, she grew up in a culture where it's not, not an issue. And, and he had been feeling, he'd been saying, oh, hun, I think we need to get married. Uh, you know, we're Christians now. The Bible says we're going to have this relationship. Uh, we should be married. And, and, and so she was like, what? That's ridiculous. We don't need to do that. You know, it's the 21st century. And, and so they never, and, and so she just completely fobbed him off. But in the middle of that message, she turns around and says, we need to get married. Why? Because she knew. This is not a message about trying to pinpoint areas in other people's lives. This is more a case of if there's something in me, I would know. If you need to search for it, chances are there's probably nothing there to find. But I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that there might be a couple of people here that you've been trying to advance and move forward and, and it's almost like you've got a fishing line tied around your ankle and you can't see what's holding you back and but it's almost like an invisible fishing line stopping you, an area of disobedience that we've seen here can sometimes actually hinder us from fulfilling our destiny. And maybe tonight you realise that and like that couple realised, I just need to straighten that particular area of my life out. And they would testify today that they've moved on in their life, moved forward in the destiny that God has for them. And so maybe tonight it's a freeing moment for some people that maybe that your conscience, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something that you know that is an area of disobedience in your life. Maybe you're like me. There was something that God told you to do and you just kept putting it off because you didn't think it was important. Maybe it was something that you know is, is not, is, you know is wrong, but you've kind of pushed it aside. Whatever it is, 
God loves us too much to allow that to stay in our life because He has a great and glorious destiny for us. He didn't just die to give us a ticket to heaven. He actually died so that we can have eternal life, a life that starts here and now, and He's got a plan and purpose for our life. But the Bible does indicate that disobedience could hinder and limit that glorious destiny. So can I just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads? As a loving father with my children, if they have an area of disobedience towards me, I confront it and talk to them about it because I know I don't want it in their life. And as a loving father, God will occasionally sit us down and say he doesn't want us to carry on with that in our life. You know, the Bible says, and actually, could you just open your eyes again? I've got one more thing I need to say. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm reminded of the story where Jesus was going to wash his disciples' feet. And that's the job of a servant, of a slave. And the Bible says that Jesus was, got his disciples, sat him down, and he got a bucket out, and he was going to wash their feet. And they were aghast because that's what a slave does, not the king. And so when Jesus got around to Peter, Peter, as, he, as is his want, speaks what everyone else is thinking. And he says, Jesus, you will not be washing my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you've got no part with me. And then Peter says, well, okay, Lord, then wash my whole body as well. And Jesus says, ooh. And he said, he who's had a bath is already clean you just need your feet washed. In the same way for us as Christians, through Christ, we're clean. But we still live and walk through a dirty world. And there are occasions in our life where he will sit us down and he will say, you need to let me get at that. I don't want you carrying that on your walk and on your feet anymore. And if we say, no, Lord, you're not touching it, then he says, you've got no part with me. You can't keep walking with me. And make no mistake, there are times in the Christian life where he sits us down and he says, I'm not letting you walk any further unless you let me wash that off your feet. Amen? Now you can close your eyes. And maybe you're in this place and you're saying, Ben, that's me. Hey, we've all been there. I've told you about me.